I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Do you think it's the experience? What what would really set it apart for a young person? And he said, frankly, price. And they had these crazy uh, standard operating procedures. Here we go. <laughs> serious. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I put on that really nice white jacket you have again. <laughs> <laughs> With the really long sleeves. Long sleeves that tie in the back, yeah. <laughs> the building industry has long been reluctant to change. When things are going well, developers and builders have had no incentive to rock the boat. But now... Post-recession, a shift in society and culture has ushered in a tidal wave of change in the industry, and there's no going back. Welcome to Spaces, where we explore and analyze how the building industry is evolving, from design and construction to management and economics. Join hosts Jason, Ali, and Demetrius as they discuss the evolution of your spaces. Hello, welcome to Spaces. My name is Demetrius. Here with Jason and Allie, back together again. Back together. I was going to sing that song, Reunited, but <laughs> I'll save our listeners the, the uh, pain. Screw the listeners, I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Not today. So welcome back, guys. Back together again. How, how have you been? Allie, you, you were touring. How did yeah. that go? It's no joke. I've been in the past three weeks to San Antonio, Denver, the Bay Area, Austin, Charlotte, and I'm leaving tomorrow morning for Tampa. Oh my god, dude! So it's it's a lot. I, I feel tired. I feel like my family is 
I don't know. The airport staff is more family than my actual family. So some of those people are not very nice either. No, not they're good. not. Yeah. <laughs> I have trust issues. <laughs> Shouldn't say that. I'm only doing one overnight or next week. I'll probably get freaking randomly selected again. We'll yeah. see what happens. <laughs> but uh, the worst thing for me is being back home this weekend. We adopted a kitten on Saturday. And we got it from the Irvine Animal Care Center, and it was so exciting, and it was on my car ride home. And of course, I have like this little white two-month-old kitten in my car, and at the stoplight, I got on my phone to text pictures to my friends, and... Please tell me right next to a cop. Please tell me right next to a cop. <laughs> I get pulled over! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the guy said, uh, well, he first noticed the cat, and then he goes, can you tell me while you're on your phone? And I was like, yes, because I just got a kitten. I'm so excited. <laughs> and he was like, okay, I'll be back. And he came back and he's like, I understand that you're excited about your kitten. And I understand that you're a red light, but here's your ticket. Oh, oh so he did give you, that's like a couple hundred dollar ticket, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not happy about it. Actually, I'm, I was fuming about it before I went to the gym yesterday. I was like, what a jerk. Oh, man. It's a kitten. It was a red light. I understand there's law, but I don't have any tickets. I don't have any offenses. Really? Really. You don't have any tickets? Nothing. Oh, man. And he was like, the good news is you're not going to get points on your license. It's like, that the is good, good news, news though, is I know you're a jerk. <laughs> Gosh. That's so. funny. You know, because the funny thing is every time I pull up next to a cop and they're like on their phone, I, I resist the urge to take a picture of them on my phone oh, because should. I'm like, are you going to light me up for doing that? And then yeah, because you just did like, <laughs> You know what I mean? But it's like, now I've got proof. You know what I mean? So but annoying. Oh, not good. I've been pulled out like, okay, so I, I've got a few points on my record. That's fine. Oh, it's really? all from speeding. Yeah, it's all from speeding. I could see that. Yeah, I, I drive with a heavy foot. Like I tell you, I'm like, I don't drive reckless. I just mm. drive with pace, right? And uh, I, it, this last time I got pulled over, I was out and I was going out to Palm Desert. And so I get pulled over and like, I took a picture of the guy like in my, in my side view mirror and he totally caught me too. He goes, did you just take a picture? I'm like, oh. hell yeah, I took a picture. I'm like, I'm at least get something out of this, you know? <laughs> and he, I mean, he was actually pretty cool about it, but, um, I mean, literally I got caught for going like 90 and like a 65 uh, and that time I was hauling, like I was yeah. going right. And so I was, I was like totally paying attention the whole way out there yeah. i was two miles from where i needed to go oh and like a semi truck moved and freaking Smokey was on the right side on the other side. i was like Shh. i literally pulled straight over to the the uh the shoulder yeah. didn't even wait for him to pop lights he <laughs> full-on took the shoulder all the way to me so pulled up next to me it was just laughing when he walked up to the I thing i'm like yeah i'm screwed i'm like i know like i like i don't even know how fast i was going oh but i was God. booking right oh. and and he kind of just laughing and he looks at me I'm like and no offense man here's all my stuff but like i gotta go like so if we could write this up as quick as possible like i literally used one of those lines like from the movie and he was he wrote me up for like i think it was something like 70 and a 65 like he was oh, laughing. nice and i'm like i wasn't driving reckless i know i was speeding like there's no and he goes yeah i saw you pull straight over i'm like yeah i knew i was screwed <laughs> it was pretty funny for me it was very humbling i think in my when i was 18 or 20 i probably could have gotten out of the ticket and i was like oh no <laughs> not anymore oh, that's hilarious uh, what awesome. about you? <laughs> uh, I I had a good uh, I've had a good couple weeks busy. Uh, went to Vegas, 
sort of to do some uh, for work studying for our mm. podcast. For so those, re- since research. this is a radio show right now, Demetrius is like curling his eyes and like getting all kind of goofy look on studying, just so we're <laughs> clear on that. It's research for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but uh, it's been good. But the the bad thing about it, uh, while I was gone, um, our dog Blue, who's uh, sitting in studio with us. I think he ruptured another valve in his heart. Oh. Nice. Uh, so uh, he's we're dealing with that still. Um, what does that mean? So they have several valves uh, in their heart. Uh, when the valve ruptures, it basically makes it uh, difficult for the blood flow to stop properly. When so when the valve closes, the blood will you know stop. Um, but his doesn't close all the way. It just kind of flaps. So mm. blood is flowing constantly and like sort of out of control. Oh. And the blood gets into his lungs uh, and can drown his lungs, basically. So that's congested. Doesn't that cause congestive yes, heart failure? So that's the congestive heart failure. Oh. Um, so it's sort of possibly expedited now, oh, but no. we're, we're not sure because um, at this point, um, paying for another scan wasn't really going to do any good. They can't do anything about it at this point. Yeah. Um, so we're just, uh, you know, managing it with his meds. Um, giving him but, as much love as possible. Yeah. So that's why he's in studio today. Uh, he's to, chilling. Yeah. Oh. So if you hear a bark, listeners, that's that's Blue just saying hi. Hmm. But uh, other than that, you know, things are going well. Uh, staying busy. I was happy to hear you're busy, man. Yeah. Like, he looks really busy, too, which mm-hmm. is great. So for somebody that just started their own business and going off on their own, that's really exciting to off. see. So yeah. cheers yeah. and congrats, man. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, thanks. It's been quite a process uh, doing all the legal stuff and following all the paperwork and trying to set set time aside to, um, you know, build up my stuff while doing the consultant thing. But it's fun. It's, uh, it's exciting stuff. But... Today we're going to do a, a slightly condensed version, um, uh, so we're going to skip the market updates again today, but Ali, you wanted to kind of plug, um, you did some recent, you did a recent podcast. podcast. Yep, so we mentioned it on the last show, but since we missed the market update twice, just make sure you go to Cashflow Connections, and I think it's episode 38, it's Will This Be the Longest Expansion in History? So I was with Hunter Thompson, who runs that podcast, Cashflow Connections, and we did an hour long. We hit everything. We covered economics, we covered housing, and it was different markets and different strengths and different weaknesses. So a lot of cool stuff there if you're interested in learning more about the current state of the housing market and the economy. But we'll be back next time. So as I mentioned earlier, went to Vegas to do a little research for today. Uh, and today we are discussing hotels. How to count cards. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I was researching hotels, I didn't really realize it has kind of an interesting history. Hotels have gone through this, this sort of evolution. I don't know how um, familiar you guys are with it or have kind of recall seeing this evolution, but um, they've kind of gone through these different generations. First, kind of phase um, was back in yeah 1860 the first generation was 1860 to 1960 is kind of what they identify as like the first generation and that was the the grand hotel style so it was really ornate kind of opulent and you know for dignitaries mostly and uh, a lot of business deals were done there and 
one of the interesting things I saw was George Washington, our, our president, our first president, he actually felt kind of, not embarrassed, but he didn't want to give the appearance of favoritism or have the appearance of favoritism. So he opted to not stay in hotels and he chose to stay in taverns and inns, which are like renovated bars basically mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of grimy sort of environments. Hmm. That's a fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like much on the tavern side hasn't changed in a while either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he was a, a man of uh not <laughs> I don't want to say low standards, but he didn't he didn't require much. Uh, Which is weird because Mount Vernon, have you been to his house in outside of DC? Uh, I have not. I no, I mean, it's, it's a big house and it, it yeah. he was definitely living the opulent life back oh. then. Just maybe not when it comes to I, hotels. I, I guess the outward appearance is sure. what, what uh, he was trying to avoid. Mm. The second generation of hotels were considered more of an industrialized and kind of rigid system. And that was, you know, starting from 1960. And, and at that point, people really got into being very structured, you know, set in their ways as far as uh, making hotels as efficient as possible. And there were two kind of innovations at that time, one being um, separating the business, the business of the property from the business of tending to guests. They basically looked at their property as a a business and they they utilized uh, the growing credit market to leverage their existing hotels into branching out and getting more hotels. Um, And then the second part uh, of the innovation on that, they utilized contracts and franchising arrangements to basically uh, use kind of local managers or or investors to to help grow that market. And then going back to that that kind of structure part, the industrialization of it, um, there was a quote from uh, J.W. Marriott Jr., uh, who said, when I say that the company's prosperity r- rests on such things as our 66 steps to a clean room manual, I'm not exaggerating. So they actually calculated 66 steps to get to for one point. And they had these crazy uh, standard operating procedures. And this is uh, ranging from Tokyo to Sao Paulo. The omelets in all of these locations had to match a laminated picture one of the managers in Dubai says he follows 2,300 rules, including phrases to greet guests, how he has to answer the phone, that phone has to ring exactly three times before he answers. So it's like all these little things that they had to follow and it was really structured, which obviously led to that pendulum swing coming into this third generation, which is what we see now and you'll, you'll see it in Vegas. It's this more kind of laxed theme sort of setting. And they, they felt that, um, and it's kind of traced back to uh, the 1980s in New York. Uh, his name was, or, or their name was Ian Schrager and Steve Rubel, um, who had previously run the Studio 54 nightclub. Okay. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with that club, but it was yeah. it was really big club where, um, you know, all the stars came. And the, the music scene and everything. Yeah, it yeah. was a really iconic uh, nightclub. And it was all about being seen and, and yeah. who was there to see. And when they got into the hotel game, they they saw it as uh, switching it to kind of a boutique hotel uh, style. And that was you know following more to that theme. And it was about targeting customers based on their interests rather than their wallet. Right. 
so right trying to trying to create the attraction yeah so you'll you see that More you end up with circus circus yeah. uh the luxor yeah. Yeah. new york new For york sure. you know aria and that whole complex out there so it's more about the style and what people are attracted to and, and giving them this different um setting every time they go to a different place so mm-hmm. and and it's still continuing to evolve as as they move forward but it's been a really interesting kind of transition of that history so i don't know how you guys have um seen or experienced hotels if you've enjoyed this this kind of theme setting or have you been to kind of that more structured what well, I, I certainly don't travel as much as Allie does <laughs> i don't know where she tends to stay um i, I think we've all been to vegas one too many times mm-hmm. so <clears throat> we can speak to that a little bit yeah. I, i'd say for vacation stuff i tend to stay more resort style things we big marriott fans actually so oh, yeah. um, we stay at a lot of marriott's and resort type marriott places um but I, I haven't stayed anywhere that's like, out, I mean, outside of Vegas, like, it, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, been to New York, but it's a whole different type of deal yeah. when you're in New York. I mean, you've got your like 12 by 12 space there for yeah. $700 a night, you know, um, it's a little bit different. I don't know how good of an experience you can really call that. <laughs> um, but um, the only one I can really draw to, the one that we stayed to in Canada, we went there was gorgeous, which was right by the Niagara Falls, oh, just because yeah. the rooms were unbelievable. But the, that's not really the hotel did anything. They just made nah, sure you it was just, it was the setting. They didn't, yeah. the, honestly, the hotel was kind of just like, meh, yeah. you know, because the view and everything else was so wonderful. Yeah. They don't need you. Yeah. We didn't, you know, didn't do too much of that stuff. I know you and I were talking about the hotel Dell at one point, mm-hmm. um, and the settings there, which are pretty, pretty cool, but yep. it's, I don't know if it's really targeted at, you know, our age group. I, I, I'd, yeah. I'd argue that it, it's gone the other direction or it's been the other direction mm-hmm. for, so long, for so long, but it sounds like maybe they're trying to attract a little bit more at this hotel point. Hotel Dell? Del Coronado. Del Coronado. San Diego. Diego. Now, before I give my answer to that, serious question. Yeah. Okay, so I checked into my hotel uh, in Charlotte two weeks ago, and I checked in in, like, my business outfit, very professional, like, my makeup's done, hair is done, all of this stuff. So... (laughs) Go there, then I go and get in the shower. Completely unlike right now. No, <laughs> I go, I go, I get in the shower. When I get out of the shower, my hair is wet, my makeup, I don't have it on. I'm in workout clothes, and I go down. And he was like, the same gentleman was like, "Good evening, Mrs. Wolf." And I was like, "Good evening," and I'm like, "Why do you? I don't look the same, by the way. When my hair is wet, I look like I have brown hair. Like it doesn't make sense." Okay. So my bona fide question is. Do they know when you're leaving your room? Does it alert you that Mrs. Wolf has left room 405? No, come on. I mean, you still look semi-similar. No. I mean, okay, first no off, way. I look. There's like six stories in this hotel. So this hotel's big. I. Okay, first off, you're paranoid of people like watching your every step. We already know this. So I think this is weighing into this discussion right now. No. Second off, I don't care if you got wet hair or not. Like, you can tell who people are. No, you least... can't. No. no, they don't. They don't. They can't. I think they get alerted. No. And I'm now convinced they know everywhere I'm going. They know what I'm buying. Here we go. (laughs) I'm I'm pretty sure. I put on that really nice white jacket you have again. (laughs) (laughs) With the really long sleeves. Long sleeves and tie in the back. Yeah. All right, you guys. You know what? Um, One day it's going to come out that they've been monitoring everything you've been doing, and I'm sorry you have not been. Concerned I've already about told this. you they're monitoring everything we're doing as it is. Like I don't know what to tell you. Anyways, I um, the new name for government is Alexa or whatever the heck that Alexa or whatever. Alexa, the, yeah. So I think the answer is yes. They monitor you, and that's the only way that the gentleman remembered me a couple hours later. When the it's... only thing they do is they can they know your phone when you call them. That's the only thing. 
Yeah. So we got to, if any of our listeners are in the hospitality <laughs> business, please let me know. Do they know that I've left the room? <laughs> I, I, think the yeah, I don't know about um, that. To go back to your original question, I am the same. Actually, I don't do any resorts, but I don't. It's funny. My friend, I won't say what company he works for, but I happened to just run into him in a parking lot the other day. And we were talking about millennials and hospitality. And I said, yeah. what do you think about it? I said, do you think it's the experience? What, what would really set it apart for a young person? And he said, frankly, price. He mm. said, Vegas, you expect the experience because yeah. that's where you are. But he said, in, he listens to all the earnings reports of Marriott and all of the big companies. And he said, it's such a price-driven equation. But I can counter that by saying, I've looked at stats that the top places millennials will vacation are luxury resorts, all-inclusive resorts. Yeah, oh. Mexico. Yeah. yeah. So I guess maybe that's, that adjusts for price. Uh, well, I almost, yeah. I almost wonder if it's two different categories, right? So like, for instance, you're staying in, where are you going? Tampa? Mm-hmm. So you're going for business, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I've got, a, I've got an overnight stay in Northern California, and, and I think I'm going to be in San Jose uh, next week, Tuesday night. Well, I, I picked those places based off of truly what my experience was last time. Not like for ambiance and stuff, but like, mm-hmm. yo, was the room clean? Mm-hmm. Did I like the area? You know, those kind of things, like really simplified stuff when I'm just saying for business, right? Yeah. Did they have a decent like place to grab something neat on the way out? Did yep. they have a decent gym? Yep. You know what I mean? Like that's the other thing I would look for, like simple amenities yeah. or is it close in relation to a 24 hour fitness? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like that kind of thing where I can go kind of keep some normalcy to my day. So I think if you split the two, like travel for work and then travel for pleasure, right? When we travel, like when we go to Hawaii, we go to Hawaii every year. <clears throat> Luckily, my kids know the difference in the amenities of the hotels. You know what yeah. I mean? They know I like these pools. I like yeah. this battleship that's out there. I like this and that, or, you know, the access to the beach versus, you know, different types of things. So I think when you look at it from that perspective, like I'm not, I'm not like a whole weighted on hand and foot type of deal, but my wife and I go to one resort in particular. We'll, we'll go once a year. We usually do it for our anniversary. It's a uh, the Monarch Monarch. I always do it wrong. Monarch beach club. So one of Dana point, I think it was the old Regis St. Regis. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the place is off the chart with how they treat you and that kind of stuff. I mean, they knew it was our anniversary. The first time I went, they send all the crap cool. up to the room yeah. and all that kind Delivering of stuff. Delivering the wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and the, the grounds are amazing, you know, and it's like they come, you go down to the pool and not only do they like give you a towel and like water, it's like they set the towel down for you. They go find the spaces for you. Like they do all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's the most bougie I'll ever be, (laughs) but for the, for the vacation part, I think it is about the actual experience. I, you know, like I said, I'll take it back to the business side or the travel side for, for business, which is 60% for most hotels. The average is at 60% business, 40% leisure. And then some go up to 70%. So it's business is actually a huge portion of a lot of the hotels that we stay in. But wow. most can people can't on. take most people can't take a vacation. Yeah. So it has yeah. to be, right? So if you go back to what you were talking about before and the stats about, you know, how hotels were derived, it's because people were traveling and they needed to do different things. So that's yeah. why they stayed. So that's the that's the commercialized aspect of it, right? Yeah. And then it became as other people saw you could probably start making money off it, just like any other topic or any other business. Other people are going, Okay, well I want to get in that game. And mm-hmm. as you start getting in that game, it's like how do I up it well hello vegas right yeah. well now we've got aria which is this huge freaking town and, yeah. and the whole you know city center or whatever the heck they call it yeah whereas like the wind was the big deal before well the wind still is a big deal and you'd rather stay there over circus circus <laughs> you know <laughs> you know you know what i mean yeah um but you know and the luxor and all this you know, looking at the pyramids you know all this kind of stuff so it's like as as you keep getting the draw what what industry or what product you know category doesn't have to consistently one up to mm-hmm. stay ahead of the rest of the market yeah Right. So on that on that front about kind of what's coming next, I found this article. They talked about four trends that are 
kind of taken over the hotel. And I think you had some as well, Ellie. Mm-hmm. The four that I found were uh, small rooms. Mm-hmm. So uh, to kind of fall in line with what people feel millennials want was this small rooms that makes room makes way for more communal space for socializing and connecting with uh, other people maximizing that footprint basically yeah yeah. and what i've seen with small rooms is it's almost an entry point so the way i've talked to hotel developers they say we want someone to fall in love with hotel x and Mm. we know that they can't afford it Mm. going at our normal price so we're going to do small rooms not necessarily to do the communal space which i'm sure there are a lot that do that but they said so the Ace Hotel in downtown LA is an example. You can get their small room for two ninety. I picked a random day, but for two ninety nine a month. Sorry, geez, a night. And then you go all the way up to the suite, which is eleven hundred a night. And then you have about eight different sections as you go through that wow. small, you know, medium, then large, extra large. You go through all these different things. And so for them, they said, the Ace says it's basically you need to know that there are so many different people along the income spectrum, yeah. and that you want people to come on your property. So you create small. For that small niche to have them come and enjoy the property. Interesting. From there on out. Yeah. When you look at the percentage of how they divvy up uh, a hotel, they actually break it down based on kind of what type of building it is and how they uh, spread out, you know, the the amount of rooms that they're going to do. So for a motel uh, or economy hotel, the percentage of total hotel area is uh, 90% to those guest rooms. And then at an all-suite hotel, and it's as you get kind of more grand, your percentage of guest rooms decreases. Goes, goes down, yeah. Yeah, so then you end up with more uh, amenities, amenities, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, all-suite hotels, you got 80% guest rooms. Urban business hotel, 75%. Resort, 70%. And then convention hotel, you get down to 65%. Mm. Uh, and for economy, have you guys stayed in a Fairfield and in suites? Say it again. Uh, Fairfield. Yep. Yeah, I've stayed at one before. Would you stay in one again? I don't. I don't think it's so bad. Um, I I, pref- I tend to prefer like courtyard. Like I said, I'm a Marriott guy. Yep. And I think Fairfield's from Hilton. I don't think it. I think it's Marriott. Anyways, so Fairfield the reason I'm saying Marriott, that is they never right. have. They don't. Well, the ones I've been into don't have a built-in air conditioner. They just have the window air. Yeah. I will never stay in one and again. That, and that's the kind of things like what I'm saying. Like you look for. You yeah. Know what I mean, when you're gonna go and stay, it's what what did that. Was it ready for me? Was it clean? Yeah. You know, is it a good AC system? You know, different stuff like that. Yeah. You know, the bathroom, how's the bathroom look? You know, so those bad. different types of things. Yeah. All right. So number two. <laughs> uh, number two, uh, eliminating and combining. So they're uh, actually removing some of the some of the things that you get in a guest room or combining them into one sort of thing. So they looked at combining a, a closet, a mini bar, and dresser all into one unit. Oh, yeah. So you start to see some of those mm-hmm. um, kind of things. And then they're eliminating things like the irons and ironing boards uh, in lieu of providing an ironing room that uh, multiple guests. Oh, really? Yeah. So this is the, the sense, actually. Moxie, Moxie Hotel. Uh, this is a boutique hotel. I don't have the exact location, but it's called the Moxie, M-O-X-Y. And then they're trying to deconstruct guest rooms. Um, and they're kind of toying with the idea of having this open plan. So you're removing walls from your bathroom. So you have this open kind mm-hmm. of space. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for those that... uh it's starting to sound like a dorm. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I'm not quite sure how that's going to work out. 
Uh, number three is modular construction. Talked about that a little bit in our um, off-site construction episode. Uh, Ali, you brought up, I can't remember which hotel you mentioned. Yeah, so Marriott in 2017 did 50 of their hotels prefab, 13% of their portfolio for 2017. Oh, yeah. And so for them, they won't do it on their high end. So you weren't going to go, I don't know what the high end Marriott would be. But you wouldn't go to one of those. It would be a Fairfield yeah. would be that. So they just make it like Legos. So just little boxes putting on top should. of each other. And it makes perfect sense because yep. for the most part, that person is coming. It's like, I need a room to crash. Yep. Get up and go. You're not generally sitting in there going, hey, what kind of pool does it have and this yep. type of stuff. I mean. Yeah. So it, I can't remember the exact number. I think it was something like it used to take them 14 weeks and it dropped it down to 10 weeks. So they got most of it in the time savings versus the fact that it's cheaper to, to yeah. do prefab. Uh, and then the last one is home. Uh, it's called home sharing. Um, so they're trying to get inspiration from Airbnb. Like the VRBO type stuff? Sort of. Um, so they're they're trying to draw from that and, and looking to cut costs um, by doing, I guess the best way to explain it is kind of doing things that we normally um, experience in everyday mm-hmm. life. So instead of having an actual restaurant in the hotel, they're partnering up with food trucks that'll come to the facility and different things they're they're trying to come up with creative ways to basically cut costs and uh bring in a new kind of flavor to to the hotel so i was just gonna hit on the the food trucks i've seen recently a lot of the mixed use spaces where they're doing kind of residential and office and hotels they're leaving space intentionally for food trucks and part of me wonders how long is that gonna last right yeah what kind of is that a long-term plane or is that as in, like, our food trucks kind of just trendy? Or? Yeah. Okay. That's how I was like, that's an interesting use of space because I wonder if they could have been yeah, more. I, mean, I guess essentially that space would be easily convertible then later. Sure, but I don't know. I feel like that felt feels like a trendy way to yeah. set up your development, in yeah. my opinion. Well, I think being in the construction industry, I'm hesitant to eat off anything on a truck for the most part. I've kind of been, you know, dealt with that before, so I can't say I necessarily go off of food trucks anyway, but. So, and was that, the, was that number four? Uh, yeah, that was four. So the one I would add to that is customization. And uh. so we've talked about how, I don't know if we have on this podcast, but how millennials have grown up with every facet of their life being customizable. So mm. not the first group to grow up with Chipotle, but they go to Chipotle and expect to get a vegetarian salad next to beef burrito. And they've always expected that. Or mm-hmm. Nike, you can create your own shoes. There's, this is an extreme example. So of course we don't expect all the hotels to go this way, but in Switzerland, there's a hotel that has 150 different customizable options that once you book it, you go onto their website and you say, they have really funky kind of fun things like, I want Bart Simpson toilet paper and I want to have a soft pillow and I want a fluffy blanket and plus my baby's going to be there so I need a baby bed. And so you can go through and click through all these different options, but they do a mix of customization and the delivering the wow, which is the Ritz's idea. And so... When you walk into your room, the sink is filled and they have a little rubber ducky sitting waiting for you. So just like a little like, oh, that's that's (laughs) delightful. (laughs) So what we've seen is hotels are trying to figure out the best way to still be cost effective while also hitting on the fact that young people expect customization more than the older generations do. So yeah, I don't know how it will take off, but it's been something they've been talking about. Yeah, it seems like they're not grasping at straws, but really trying to figure out what that that new formula is. Yep. I was going to mention uh, Airbnb just launched. They don't want to call it a hotel, but it's <laughs> a hotel. It's called the Yoshino Cedar House. Uh, and this is in Japan. It's a house that's managed by and for the community. The property would 
function as a hotel for uh, for tours and a community center for uh, local residents. And 95, uh, 97% of the fees that are charged go directly to the community. This is a um, project co-created by Tokyo-based architect Go Hesegawa and Airbnb co-founder Joe Gabia. The goal of the project was to explore how architecture can promote new relationships between hosts and guests beyond uh, existing notions of dom domesticity and ownership. This building was built with wood from nearby forests using local master carpenters and craftsmen, and they're really careful about um, you know, managing uh, how they harvested that wood and, uh, and made sure that they were responsible in harvesting that wood. It holds a, a maximum of four occupants. Uh, it's pretty small. You can, if you look at the photos, you'll see there, there's kind of a dining space, uh, small bedrooms. Uh, the rooms are kind of odd shaped in that they're they take the form of the house uh, or the of the building. Um, the, the main floor is kind of just circulation and, and that uh, dining space and communal space. It has this really cool suspended wood staircase that leads up to the lofted bedrooms. And then once you get upstairs, it looks like they're, that's where the bedrooms are, but they follow the form of the, the roof. So you have these sloped ceilings, uh, kind of a low space. That is cool. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting kind of setup. And you can register for this on Airbnb for only $97 per night. I don't know. Would you stay in something like that, Jason? Um, no, I don't really think I would, actually. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. Like, when you look at stuff artistically, I think it's something I would take a look at. I think it'd be pretty neat. I can yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. From an architecture standpoint, from a build, you know, building standpoint, and just being different. But yeah. I don't think I would stay there. Uh, it's interesting to me because I, I look at, you know, all the elements that you kind of think about when you design a hotel and this is like completely the antithesis yeah. of of what you would normally consider if you kind of look through that website this is all about kind of a cultural experience and and being one with that that environment and and that that culture that region but i wanted to wrap up with five facts for uh for hotels um could be interesting that, that found kind of interesting uh largest capacity hotel is uh obviously in las vegas uh it's the mgm grand hmm. mgm grand is third largest hotel in the world with 5,690 rooms wow the tallest hotel standing 1,389 feet tall is the trump international hotel and tower in chicago 92 stories high crazy uh the first hotel and brand um the first establishment that was called a hotel in the United States was built in 1793, and that was the Union Public Hotel in Washington, D.C. Washington probably didn't stay there. Yeah, I doubt <laughs> it. You know, the question I have with the Trump one, it's 92 stories high. Yeah. Everybody thinks about it. Does that include the non-13th floor? Because there's never a floor 13 in a hotel. Yeah. So is it really 91, or is it like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because the people do on floor 14, they know what floor they're on. I do don't care what anybody still get rid of that? Was it, oh, yeah. There's no floor 13 in any hotel that I've ever been in. I haven't paid any attention to that. Oh, pay attention I, to I, it. 
But the funny part is, like I said, if you're on floor 14, you you're know you're on 13. 13. I don't yeah. care what anybody says. <laughs> uh, average room rate then and now, according to American Hotel and Lodging Association, in 1940, the average hotel room rate was just $3.21. That sounds good. <laughs> Today, the average rate has reached uh, $110.89. See, $3.21 is what you probably walked out of your Las Vegas stay hotel in. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then the last one, the number of hotel employees then and now. Uh, In 1910, hotel industry was made up of 10,000 hotels, 1 million rooms, and roughly 300,000 employees. At the year end of 2012, there were 52 or yeah 52,529 hotels 4.9 million rooms and the hotel industry has employed 1.8 million people six times as much as in 1910 it's crazy yeah the hotel industry is uh, is an interesting one that we can probably come back to and, and dive into and focus on a few more specific hotels at a future date but i think we'll uh wrap today up one last thing I just remembered uh, for our contest, we had a couple people uh, for our photo contest. We had a couple people participate. Sweet. The date was the end date was supposed to be sometime soon. I think we passed it, but I wanted to. I forgot to make an announcement last time, so I wanted to make that last announcement, and we'll um, make an announcement next week of who wins that cool. hundred dollar gift card. Um, again, if you haven't heard, we're, we're doing a photo contest, a social media photo, photo contest. Um, so take a interesting photo of yourself and, and post it on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and hashtag spaces podcast so we can find it. Um, and then the more likes you get and more shares you get, the more your photo counts into the raffle. And, um, and we'll make that announcement next uh, by the next episode. Cool. I wanted to end with some listener mail. And this one comes from our Instagram. And this is jdavids11. I uh, said, much appreciated. Finally checked out your podcast a couple of days ago out of curiosity. I'm only five episodes in, but I'm really enjoying the content so far. It's cool to hear some different perspectives on topics from people in the in other focuses of the building industry and in other regions of the country. Thanks for putting some quality stuff together out stuff out there and keep at it so I'll have something interesting to listen to on the drive to work. Thank you, Jay Davids eleven. Yeah, thanks for listening. If you would like to send us some mail, you can send that via email, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we're out there everywhere. Uh, so you can send that email to hello at spacespodcast.com. You can check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash spacespodcast, on Twitter at spacespodcast, on Instagram, instagram.com slash spacespodcast, or on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash company slash spaces dash podcast. And lastly, we know there are tons of podcast options out there, and we appreciate you guys spending some time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and like it. Uh, Don't just share it on your social media. Actually send it directly to a person. They're more likely to open it if you send it directly to them. Your support is the only way that this grows. Uh, And if you stumbled upon the show, please subscribe so you don't miss another episode. 
Don't forget to check us out on spacespodcast.com. And under the listen tab, you'll see photos and notes of things that we've talked about uh, in this episode and previous episodes. And with all that said, if you're catching up, hit next. Or if you're listening as we put these out, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.